Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good to have you, Crosswinds family. And if you're somebody who's new, uh, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're continuing in our study of 2 Samuel. As Jeremy mentioned, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 17 through 29. These verses are a prayer that David prayed when he realized how incredibly good God had been to him. And my hope is that after we look at these verses, that we would pray some kind of a similar prayer after we realize how incredibly good God has been to each one of us through Jesus Christ. And understand the verses here in chapter seven at the latter half of this chapter, we really need to make sure we have a good comprehension of the uh, initial verses in this chapter. Those are verses one through 16. Uh, Pastor Jordan taught on them here last week. I taught on them in Spencer last week. But because not everybody was here last week and because these are some of the most important verses in the Old Testament, I'm going to take a few moments just to briefly recap some of the most important points that we saw last week. So if you have your outlines, we'll be here in the section on background. Remember when 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 began, David, after a long time, had finally become king over all of Israel. David had successfully pushed the Philistines out and he was at peace with the enemies that surrounded him. David had a a new capital city, which he conquered named Jerusalem. And at this point, he even had a new palace, a luxurious palace made of cedar, which probably would have featured well on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Because it was that beautiful. David uh, was sitting with his friend, the the prophet prophet Nathan. I picture them, it was after dinner. They were relaxing on the back porch of David's palace. They were just overlooking the entire city. Maybe their, you know, their feet were up. Their, Their bellies were full. Maybe they were drinking decaf coffee. It's good coffee, by the way. It would have been the good kind of stuff that that Matt makes over at the coffee bar, that kind of stuff. They were enjoying this time together. And David was reflecting on God's goodness to him. How good God had been to take him from a little boy tending sheep in Bethlehem, which was only two miles away from Jerusalem, by the way, and then to anoint him as king and carry him through 10 plus years of a bumpy, rough road to bring him all the way to be king of this nation. A bumpy, rough road of time where he had to fight a man named Goliath. He had to fight the Philistines. A bumpy, rough road where Saul, the king at that time, was committed to kill him, yet God protected him. When Saul's army commander, Abner, was committed to killing him, and then Ishbosheth was committed to killing him. But God cut off every single one of them and safely brought David's life exactly to where he said it would be to bring David to be the king of the nation. And David, as he looked over the city, and he reflected in his heart, he was overwhelmed with God's goodness to him. And there he saw below him, 
in the city. The tent, the tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence dwelled. And David said, I I feel like I have to do something for God out of thankfulness to God. God has given me this luxurious palace that I live in. What I need to do is maybe I can build a luxurious home for the temple where the ark dwells. And David shared that with Nathan. And Nathan initially thought that was a great idea. And I picture them leaving that night, Nathan and David giving each other high fives. You know, hey, we've got a great idea. This is what we're going to do. Really good. But when Nathan and David went home that night, and Nathan was quiet. You know sometimes when you're quiet, God speaks to you in ways he doesn't when you're really busy. And God spoke to Nathan saying, David is not to build me a house. No, actually, I'm not done showing my kindness to David. I have much more kindness to give to David. David wants to build me a house? No. I'm going to build him a house. Not a house of wood, of bricks, and of mortar. David already has that kind of a house. I'm going to build the house of David, a dynasty for David, that I'm going to raise up his descendants after him so there will always be a descendant of David on the throne. Uh, This was important. This was big. When Saul sinned, God cut off his dynasty. But God said he was going to treat David and his sons differently. When David's sons sinned, God would discipline them, but he wouldn't destroy them. He would continue the line of David. If you've read the Old Testament, maybe you're familiar with the book of First and Second Kings. It's 400 years of history of the descendants on David's throne. Many times, them messing up and, and God disciplining them. But in these prophetic promises to David about his descendants and there being a perpetual dynasty on the throne, there was something, I I believe Jordan taught you about it last week and I taught it in Spencer last week. There was something sort of odd. There were promises in it that didn't quite make normal sense. It experienced a phenomenon that uh, theologians call telescoping. It's sort of like when you look at mountains on the horizon. You know how mountains, you look them on the distance, they all look like they're all close to one another? But you know from your perspective that while they look like they're right next to one another, there may be hundreds of miles separating one mountain peak from another mountain peak behind it. But from your perspective, it doesn't look that way. Now, in these prophetic words that we studied last week in Second Samuel chapter 7, there's this phenomenon of telescoping going on where some of the things that were said uh, were, would be fulfilled in the very near future for David and his descendants. But other things seem to be only be able to be fulfilled in the far and distant future. And some of those things seem to only be able to be fulfilled by somebody who is not a normal son of David, but a special son of David, a a unique son of David. Last week when I was in Spencer, I showed the, the Spencer campus just three occurrences of this telescoping phenomenon in those early verses of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me show them to you here. They're in your outline. 
First one I want to point out is this. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And the first thought is, so what's so abnormal about that? Looks pretty clear to me. It's clear in English, but there's an oddity about it in Hebrew, and it's this. The word for offspring is in the singular, not the plural. God has just promised to raise up a perpetual dynasty which would involve multiple offspring. Why is this one word for offspring in the singular, not the plural? It seems to be referring to one particular offspring of David, one ultimate offspring of David, where God would raise up and establish his kingdom. Earlier in the book of Genesis, uh, something very similar happened. God made a promise to Abraham and to his offspring and that God would breast the earth through his offspring. And by the way, it is also in the singular, not the plural, even though Abraham would have multiple offspring. When you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle Paul points this out. He says, the reason this is in the singular, not in the plural, even though it should be in the plural, is because this is referring to one person in particular, and his name is Jesus. So what we have here is God would bless the earth through one particular offspring of Abraham, who is Jesus, David will have one particular offspring where God will establish his kingdom, which is a continuation of God's promise to Abraham, and it is also Jesus. Second thing that experiences this sort of odd phenomenon called telescoping is the next verse, second point. It says, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, at first it sounds like it's just talking about Solomon, David's son. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom. Well, that sounds normal, but his kingdom would be established forever? Well, what human kingdom is established forever? Human beings don't live forever. This forever word has an eternal element with it, the kind of element and quality that only God himself possesses. This is talking that God's going to set up a throne of a kingdom here that will last eternally. Now, we don't have any great conclusions as we've gone through these two verses, but just oddities. One single offspring, an eternal kingdom that has the quality of God itself. What is this pointing to? You go to the third verse, and it all of a sudden starts to make sense. What about this particular offspring of David? I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What this is saying is there is one ultimate offspring in David's line who will have God as his father, who will be known as the very son of God, who will have a kingdom that God himself will establish, and that kingdom will last forever. Is that starting to sound like Jesus? 
Oh yeah, it's starting to sound like Jesus. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter one, uh, this, it refers to 2 Samuel seven fourteen, where I will be to him a father and he shall be to my, me a son. And Hebrews chapter one says, this is referring to Jesus Christ. So there's no doubt about that, that it's referring to Jesus. So at this point, we see these verses are talking about one particular ultimate offspring of David, that God would set up his kingdom that would last forever, and this offspring of David would have God as his father and be known as the son of God. Now here's where it gets interesting. When you turn to the New Testament, and I don't have time to tease this out because that was last week's message, I'll just show you one. You find this all over the place that these references that we just looked at in 2 Samuel 7 are being fulfilled by Jesus. Look, for instance, just one. You go to Gabriel's words to Mary when she was going to conceive baby Jesus in her womb. And what does Gabriel say to her? And behold, you will conceive from your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's a fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7. Gabriel says to Mary, the long-awaited son of David that was prophesied about in 2 Samuel chapter 7 will be fulfilled by the son that is born out of your womb in a virgin birth. Now you wonder why the Gospel of Luke begins with a genealogy that shows that Mary is in the bloodline of David. Well, because that's just to show you that she could literally bear an heir of David who could be the king of Israel. That's the whole point and that this is all being fulfilled. David is, has been told this by Nathan, and he knows God has been so good to him in his past, but he is completely blown away of how good promises to be to him in his future, that his descendants would continue, and one of them would be the very son of God himself. How would you like God to say that to you? Would that blow you away? Oh, yeah, it blew David away. And this is where we pick up in verse 17, which is our message for today. Now, in accordance with all of these words, in accordance with all of this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Incidentally, I should mention, the normal way that God speaks to his people is through words. That's how God speaks to us, through his word, the Bible. The Bible is the word of God, not just to people in the past, but it is how God speaks to us today. When the book of Hebrews says God's word is living, it is active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that when we read God's word, God uses his word to create and to sustain spiritual life in each one of us. And this is what Nathan was doing with David, sharing God's words. And it says, by the way, it, all of these words in accordance with all of this vision. And it, sometimes we read vision. Well, maybe there was some kind of a vision that Nathan saw. I don't think that's what's going on here, I should mention. It's God's vision for the future. 
That's what it's referring to. So God likes to reveal himself to us through words, and that's why we read God's word, just as God revealed himself to David and his future to David by words. Then we read, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. This chapter began with David sitting in his house, wanting to build a home for God out of gratitude for all that God has done. Now, David is overwhelmed by God's amazing amount of gratitude that he wants to display to David and his descendants in the future. And that has moved David from his house. He wants to sit in God's house. Have you ever felt that way? That you're so overwhelmed by how good God has been to you, that you are driven to prayer. Not because you're in desperation asking God to help, but because you're overwhelmed with God's goodness and you wanna thank him. Has God's goodness ever driven you to the point that you say, I just need to go to a place where I can be close to God? Sometimes during the week, every once in a while, we have people that come into this building and say, can I just go in the worship space? Can I just go in there to pray? I'm sure. Nothing wrong with that. Now, many times when people do that, I know just by the look on their face, they're praying because they're in a time of desperation. But have you ever been so overwhelmed by gratitude that you need to pray? That you want to literally take yourself to a place where you can be close to God? Uh, just to tell him how thankful you are with it that is in this room, or maybe for you where, where you do your own Bible reading and studies, a little corner in your basement where you just have to go there to be quiet with God and just to thank God because you're overwhelmed by him. Well, the rest of this chapter is a description of David's prayer. Now, it really breaks into two parts. Verses 18 through 24, where God looks back, or excuse me, David looks back on how good God has been to him in his past. And then verses 25 through 29, where David looks forward and prays for God to accomplish the good he has planned. So let's begin with this. When we pray, we should thank God for what he has done, obviously, in our past. The first sub-point is we should thank God for how he's been good to us. And this is how David prays. Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David's realizing, I remember when I was tending sheep. I was a nobody. I was unknown tending sheep 10 years ago. And yet you, for some reason of your amazing goodness and greatness and kindness, sent Samuel to me, and you chose me above all of my brothers, and I deserve none of that. And then all of these tumultuous years of being chased and having people trying to kill me and running for my life, you sustained me for 10 years. And David says, God, who am I why have you been so good to me? David sees himself completely unworthy of any of the goodness that God has given to him in his past. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever paused to look back on your life and to realize how good God has been to you in your life? 
been so overwhelmed. I, it was Tuesday night, I was working on the passage and Cindy and I were trying to find something to do. You know, it's too cold to go outside and you're sort of stuck in the house and so we eventually decided we'd go to the basement and watch television. And we're not television people, we don't do that much. So. And of course, it's almost impossible to find anything decent to watch on television, right? Can I get an amen on that one? Definitely, that's a big amen right there. So we ended up watching YouTube. And I don't know how, we ended up watching YouTube programs on recycling. I know, we're desperate. And I learned that cardboard and paper can be easily recycled, but I learned that plastic, apparently a lot of the plastic you recycle doesn't get recycled. It ends up being brought to poor foreign countries where massive amounts of this plastic that's supposed to be recycled just gets dumped in these countries. And the video showed just pictures of all these people in places like Vietnam and Laos, and they're just among these big piles of plastic, most of which came from America, and that is their life. And I thought to myself, oh God, I am so privileged. I am so fortunate to be in Iowa. I am so fortunate to be in a place that is beautiful, that is not covered in trash. I mean, it's long the winter. The winter around here is long, but the summers are great, right? God, you have been so good to bring me to this place. But then my heart shifted gears, and I thought, God, you have been so good because I wasn't born in one of those cities that is just a mountain of trash and waste. But I was born in a country, in a, in a family, a country that is free, in a family that had two wonderful parents, two parents who told me about Jesus, two parents who brought me to church, two parents who uh, got me under some great Bible teaching, and then God in his providential caring way got me from one good Bible teacher to another good Bible teacher, and then he opened the doors to allow me to study, and ultimately all the way down, and he was so good and he let me pastor you. I'm so overwhelmed. God, by your goodness, not just to me physically, like to be in Iowa instead of a pile of trash where I was raised, but to be able to know Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? Have you paused to just reflect and thank God, not just for how good he's been to you in your life, but how good he has been to you where you have been able to hear the gospel he softened your heart to respond to the gospel and he brought you close to him and he saved your life. Uh, David is overwhelmed by God's goodness to him in his past and we should be overwhelmed by God's goodness to us in our past too. Even if our physical life is difficult, if you know Jesus, God has been incredibly good to you. Now look what the Bible says about how good God has been to us. Uh, Romans chapter 5, 6 through, 9, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, God was amazingly good to David, 
but he has been also amazingly good to us. The Bible says when we were dead in our sins, when we were rightfully condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire, God loved us. He sent his own son to die for us. When there is nothing good about us whatsoever, God loved us when we were completely unlovely. And then God, he took us when we were spiritually dead and he softened our hearts, didn't he? He quickened our hearts. So when we heard the good news of what Jesus has done for us, we were drawn to it. We responded to it only because of how he softened our own dead hearts so we could come to him. That is how good God has been to us. And do we deserve any of this? Do we? Absolutely not. Now David moves from God's goodness in his past to how good God will be to him in the future with his descendants. And yet, David says, this was a small thing in your eyes. Oh, Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, oh God. David says, all the good things you have done for me, taking me from uh, the field with the sheep and sustaining me and now making me a, a king, a, a world power king, that's nothing compared to all of the goodness you will show to me through my descendants and in particular, this one particular descendant. Descendant, he says, is instruction for mankind. Interesting here. David understood that what God planned to do for him was not just God being good to David with this one offspring in particular whose father would be God and he would be God's son. This was not just for Israel. This was for all of humanity itself. David understood that God was going to be good to all of humanity through his one son. Because this son would set up a kingdom that would last forever and would impact all of mankind. I think David realized this is not just another reason to praise God, but I also think he realized that this promise that God made to him was actually an extension of the promise that God had made to Abraham earlier in Genesis. Look what it says in Genesis 12, 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God would bless all of humanity through Abraham and his descendants, and we know ultimately through one particular descendant. And God picks up that same promise to Abraham and he continues it through David. And I will bless you and all the families of the earth through your one particular descendant. And this is a lesson for us. I think the better we understand how undeserving we are, Yet how good God has been to us, the more humble and the more grateful we will become. In this prayer, I sort of counted it up. David says, or he calls himself, your servant. He doesn't call himself a king. He says, God, I am just your servant. 
He does that 10 times. I think David understood that God's goodness to him was amazing. And he deserved absolutely none of it. And the more he understood his unworthiness, and the more he understood how good God was to him, the more humble and the more grateful he became. I think that applies to us too, doesn't it? Oftentimes when we get irritable, irritable, because we want it our way, we want our preferences, we want what we like, it's because we've lost sight of how completely unworthy we are, the depth of our own sinfulness, yet how incredibly good and kind and loving God has been to us through Jesus. And when we realize what we deserve, and when we realize how God has been to us and how good he's been to us, we become very humble, we become very gentle, and we become very grateful. And if we're not humble, gentle, and grateful, it's oftentimes because we've lost sight of these things. Now you say, how good has God been to us? I know God's been really good to David. One of his descendants is gonna be the very son of God, but what about us? This is how good God has been to you. Turn to Ephesians chapter one. It said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has given us through Jesus Christ every possible spiritual blessing that we will experience in heaven. Let this sink in. If God wanted to be good to you, if he wanted to be kind to you, he could not be better to you than he has already been to you through what he has done for you through Jesus Christ. There is no possible improvement that God could make other than what he has done already for you through Jesus Christ. Now David could only hear the words about God's goodness to him in the future. And he, would, he had to believe it by faith. Folks, right now, you may not feel like the most blessed beings in the universe. Sometimes we're sick, sometimes we're tired. But we have to, just like David, take God's words by faith and believe they are true because they've always proven true. That one day, in the heavenly places, we will be known as the most blessed beings in the universe, because that is how good God has been to us through Jesus. God cannot do more for you in eternity other than what he has already done for you through Jesus Christ. As we go a little further in Ephesians, look what Paul's prayer is for the Ephesians. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that God would open their eyes to understand how incredibly good God has been to them through Jesus the one who had created the universe, everything in the universe, 
humbled himself to take on a human body so he could completely identify with us in every single way. And then he did that so he could die on the cross for our sin, soaking up all of our sin on himself as he died on the cross. And then when he rose from the grave, he rose to new life. And he offers to adopt you as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is what the Bible tells us. Right now, if you are a Christian, you are so identified with Jesus Christ that when God the Father looks at you, he does not see the sin of your past. He does not see the ugliness of what you have done. All he sees when he looks at you is the beauty, the perfection, and the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, which is covering you right now. That is what he, God has done for us. In all of eternity, as God the Father delights in his own son, and as God the Father pours out matchless, immeasurable blessing on his own son, he will pour that same blessing out on you and on me because we are so identified with Jesus that we will also be blessed with Jesus. Now David, he was blown away by the goodness that God would show to his descendants in the future, in particular, the coming of Christ. But we should also be blown away because of the goodness that God will show to us in the future through Jesus Christ, that you and I, our identity is the most blessed beings in the entire vast universe of God's creation. That is who we are. Because that, my friends, is what God has done. David continues. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Now David's essentially saying, I'm, I'm speechless when I see what you've done that I do not deserve. Now David is not literally speechless, otherwise the prayer would stop here. But it's, he's saying, I can't even find words to describe how good you've been to me. And then he says, because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all of this greatness to make your servant know it. David says this kindness that God has shown to him, which is so undeserved. He says, God, this is giving me a window into your own heart. I am beginning to understand what you are like. And here's what God's heart is like. God has great compassion, great mercy on people who desperately need it and on people who don't deserve it. God's heart is not to just be good to David. God's heart was to be good to all of mankind through David, and that is by Jesus Christ. God's heart is not to leave any one of us justly condemned to the lake of fire. No, God's heart is so good, he took an undeserving man and showed him amazing grace. That is what he did with David. And that is what he does for us. God's goodness still tans. 
Jesus extends complete forgiveness right now to anyone who would take it. And he offers to adopt us. He offers to bless us beyond our wildest comprehension. And none of us deserve any of that. But it is all offered to us through Jesus because that is God's heart. Not to contemn us. His desire is not to destroy us. His heart is to save us and then to bless us and to identify us with the most blessed being in the universe, which is his own son. How good God is to us. Now, maybe this morning you are here and your life is a mess. Maybe this morning you're here and you've wandered very far from God. You've gone on your own. You need to know that you may hate yourself. You may be struggling with yourself, but God doesn't hate you. God loves you. He doesn't want to condemn you. His desire is to save you. Turn to Jesus Christ. Trust in his death on the cross to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to make you into a new person. He will right here, right now. God is that good. That is his heart for you. He desires to take people who deserve the lake of fire and whose life is ruined and to transform them and to make them amazing recipients of his untold grace. Do we have a good God or what? We do. Then David continues. Therefore, oh, you are great, O oh Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. David can't help but say to God, God, you are great. You really are. And there is nobody out there who is like you. You may not realize, but that is so true. Well, obviously we know God is great. I just told you some of the reasons God is great. But there is no other God out there who is like our God. Well, number one, there's only one God in the universe. I, I know that. But the point is, all the other gods that people worship are not there to bless them and to save them when they deserve none of it. All the other gods are there to enslave them and destroy them. You know, Islam and Allah. Allah is not God, by the way. Allah is a powerful demon, in case you're wondering. And what does Allah want you to do? He wants you to work for him. He wants you to slave for him. Hopefully you can do enough good deeds for him. Hopefully you can do enough, but if he doesn't like you or you don't do enough deeds, well, that's the end of you. That's not what the true God of the universe is like. He takes ruined people. He takes broken people. He takes people who don't have any good thing in them and he saves them completely on his own without your help. And then he turns around and gives it to you and he blesses your socks off for all of eternity as he identifies you with his own son. That is how good God has been to us. Now David moves on from talking about how good God has been to him in his past and how good God will be to him in his future. And then he reflects on how good God has been to his people in other ways. And we should thank God for how good he has been to his people in history. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation of the earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name 
by doing for them great and awesome things, by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. David now reflects on God's goodness to his people in history, in particular his goodness to the Israelites when they were in Egypt, when they were being forced to throw their male children, the newborn children into the Nile to watch their future drown and die. And God came to their rescue. And plague after plague, he destroyed one of the most powerful nations on the planet and then vomited his own people out and saved them. But look at some of the the language that uh, is used here. David says, you redeemed this people for yourself. In the Bible, when God saves people, he doesn't save people so they could be free to live for themselves. He saves them so they could be free to live for him. Some people would react against that and say, well, that's not fair. God takes them from one master that's hard to them, and then he brings them to another master that's hard to them. (laughs) No, it's not. God takes them from the one master who's hard on them, who wants to destroy them, and he binds them to himself. And he is a good master who's not there to destroy you, but he's committed to you, and he, he loves you, and he wants what's best for you. Folks, the same thing is true for us. God saved us from slavery. He saved us from certain death, not in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and certain death in all of eternity. But he didn't save us from Satan, sin, and death to to free us to live for ourselves. He freed us to live for him. He bound himself to him, bound us to him as our new master. But you must understand, God is a good master. He is our best master. He wants what's, what he wants for us is better than what we even want for ourselves. When we think we'd like to be free from him because we have a better plan, it's not true. Our plans are not as good as his plans for us. Look what the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18. Knowing this, that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot, without blemish or spot. When God saved you, he didn't do it with money. What it cost was far more precious, the blood of his own son to set us free. That is how much God loves us. Would you be willing to pay for someone with the death of your own son? Would you be willing to pay for someone through the death of your own son to set them free? That is how much God loves us. That is how much God loves you. And if God loves us that much, we're not free, free from our sin to live for ourselves. We're free from our sin to live for him. Look what the Bible says. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
We now live for Jesus because we've been saved by Jesus. Second half of verse 24. And you, O Lord, became their God. It doesn't sound like much, but as I was studying this week, some of the Hebrew scholars point out that this is the same language that is used in a Hebrew wedding ceremony when it says, you, O Lord, became their God. It's like became their spouse. God didn't just save you and free you from sin, but he committed himself to you forever. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, love and to cherish, he promised himself to his people and he will never depart them. That is the same kind of commitment that he has not just made to his people in the Old Testament, but that is the same kind of commitment and love that he has made to you and to me to love and to cherish, no matter how rebellious we are against him, he will never depart us. He will never leave us. That's a good God. He has blessed us beyond our wildest dreams, hasn't he? Now, in the interest of time, let me go quickly on this last point. When we pray, we should pray for God to fulfill his promises. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. David realized that the best thing he can pray for is simply for God to fulfill the promises that he's made. Because God's plans for him are the best plans for him. Did you realize that? God's plans for you are better than any plans you have for yourself. And the best thing we can do is simply ask God to fulfill the promises he has made. It continues. And your name will be magnified that is made great forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. David says, I can pray this prayer courageously because these are just the promises you've already prayed to do, so I ask that you would fulfill them. I thought to myself, how does that change my prayer this week? Oftentimes I'm praying for things that I think are important in my life that are important in my heart, which are not necessarily a wrong thing to pray about but maybe a better thing to pray about would be the things that God has promised to do and the plans that God has promised already to fulfill. Yesterday I was in my own Bible reading time and I ran across Luke 19.10 which says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. At Crosswinds, Roy's talking about reaching people with Jesus, aren't we? That's what Jesus came to do, isn't it? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. When we're asking God, Help us to reach lost people with Jesus. That's the kind of thing that God is committed to, right? That's the reason Jesus came. Those are the kind of prayers that God promises to answer. So those are the kind of prayers that I want to pray. Another one, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God promises 
that when we confess our sin, he will forgive us. Those are the kind of prayers we want to pray, and those are the kind of scriptures to want to be hold on, we want to hold on to. So David, he was completely blown away by God's goodness to him, not just in his life, but what God would do in his future, especially by giving him one particular son that would be a blessing to all of mankind, who we know very clearly is Jesus Christ. But David's not the only one that should be blown away this morning. Each one of us should be blown away by God's amazing goodness to us through Jesus Christ. Our identity is literally the most blessed beings in the entire universe. God could not be more good to you other than he already has been to you through Jesus Christ. We have a good God, don't we? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just blown away by your goodness to us through Jesus. David was blown away by the promise of the coming of the Savior. We're blown away by what you have done for us through our Savior. Thank you for your promise that you separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west through Jesus Christ. Thank you that your promise is always to be good for us and that when you freed us from our sin, you bound us to yourself to serve you. But everything we do as we serve you and everything you want us to do as we serve you is always for our good. It's not to take our life from us. It's always to give life to us. Father, I don't know why so many people hold back from your son, Jesus Christ. But as we've seen so clearly in your word, the goodness you have for your son, may we just run to Jesus this week. May we pursue serving Jesus this week. May we fall more deeply in love with Jesus this week as we're overwhelmed by your grace and your goodness to us through your son. And all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.